Welcome to the Dipshit Files, episode 68. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And we're going back to the world of UFOs. Yes, we are. And this is all current shit? Yeah, well, yes. Somewhat current shit? Yes, so one thing is current, and it's still ongoing. But I do have some stories that I've dug out and found that I've never heard of before. Ooh. That is, uh, it kind of expands on what we're going to talk about. Well, let's do more Dipshit Files and open up the file. Story time. Yes. So I was digging around trying to find some stuff that will support the second half of this show. And I found some really cool stories that I'd never heard of before. One does, one of them I'd heard before, but I want to tell that it was on U.S. soil. The other three, though, uh, were in Australia, which I'd never heard of. It's a continent. So Sorry. in Australia, there's a location. Uh, it's called X, Xmouth, Xmouth. Hmm. Um, yeah. Exmouth. Exmouth. Quarky factmouth. So I'm just going to dive right in, and uh, Exmouth will explain itself in this story. UFO story number fucking one. So about 2.30 on a pitch black morning on Australia's remote northwest Cape, Annie Farinaccio walked out of a late night party at the United States Naval Communications Station called Harold E. Holt. Now, this happened in late 1991, shortly before the U.S. was due to hand over the site to Australia. Now, the handover was happening in midst uh, concern about the base's covert role as one of the cornerstones of the U.S.'s submarine launch nuclear missile defense areas. Okay. Rocky nukes. So, in the event of nuclear war, launch orders from the U.S. would be sent out by the station's uh, powerful transmitters to submarines across the adjacent Indian Ocean. Because we all get along very well. <laughs> now, when you look at this from an aerial view, it's really cool looking because it's an octagon and from the ground they're essentially like they're like poles they're like communication poles that are wired together it's it's really interesting i've never seen anything like it hmm. so Xmouth locals had no idea that their quiet town would likely be obliterated <laughs> in a nuclear war exchange <laughs> they Clocky just fact, that's good to know right well they just they just enjoyed the fact that the quote-unquote yanks what they brought to the local economy on this basically isolated community, mm. and they were really sad to see them go. So the party at the base that night was to say goodbye to some American friends who were returning home because of the handover. Annie, however, had stayed too late, and now she realized she had no way of getting home. The few local taxis in this remote part of Australia had stopped for the night. So when two Australian Federal Protective Service police officers, who she knew as Kevin and Alan, when they offered to give her a ride back to Exmouth, three miles south, she gratefully accepted. So Annie squeezed in between the two men on the bench seat of their four-wheel drive Toyota security vehicle, and they set off for town. A few minutes into this journey along the Cape's empty coast road, Kevin looked up. Quote, it's back. Grab the camera, he said. Annie didn't really know what was going on, but Alan began to 
fire off pictures in rapid succession through the windshield at something overhead that Annie could not yet see. Mothman. Eventually, Kevin pulled my head forward, she said. Hot. Look up. Okay. Then I saw it, a long diamond-shaped craft hovering overhead with the rear edge seemingly chopped off. Rose. Stealth bomber. <laughs> Rows of lights running towards the craft's tip. It was dark gray in color, but not as dark as the night sky. It was 100 feet above us at most. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Annie asked. Swamp gas. The policeman told her they had no idea, but that the same object had followed them from the previous night. Now, the next minute, the craft shot straight up from the right-hand side of the moving vehicle before dropping down almost instantaneously on the left side of the car. Annie screamed as they raced down the road with the craft in apparent hot pursuit. It followed them along the road for about a three-quarters of a mile. Then it shot up into the sky and appeared to land in the scrub just a few hundred feet off the road. Crocky. A light now shining from underneath. Kevin wanted to stop and take pictures of it on the ground, but Annie says, I was crying. This is crazy. Take me home. The two police officers agreed, and they drove as fast as they could to the edge of Exmouth, where they dropped Annie off before rushing back to get their pictures. I ran to my home on the other side of town, and I ran into the house and locked the doors. I was so freaked out, she said. Today, Annie has no doubt that what was hovering above them that night was a craft moving at incomprehensible speed. She doesn't care if people think her account sounds crazy. It moved so fast, my eyes couldn't follow it, she says. We were all freaking out. Hmm. Well, two days later, after this event, two American military policemen walked into Annie's workplace in town and asked her to come with them. Okay. Now, legally, the U.S. had no jurisdiction, but she went with them anyway. Hmm. I didn't, at that stage, relate it to what we had saw, she says. I thought I was in trouble for being on the base drinking that night. Hmm. The silent policeman drove Annie straight into what she knew was the top secret station of the U.S. base. No serious folk there. I was mouthing off at this stage saying, wow, I must have really done something bad, she laughs. Once inside, they led Annie into a room. Sitting in front of a group of Americans in uniform were the two police officers, Alan and Kevin. Just cracking jokes, keeping it loose. Annie knew most of the Americans on base, but here she recognized only one, the American commander. The others had clearly flown in from somewhere else. And there were also three or four men in civilian suits. I felt pissed off at this stage, she said. One guy did the talking. He asked me, what did you see? I said... I saw a UFO. They got me to draw it and ask me more questions about it. Quote, do you realize that what you saw was a weather balloon? I did not. She said I laughed at that. As a child, Annie had lived on a station outside Exmouth where her father frequently launched weather balloons. <laughs> Quote, weather uh -oh. balloons don't look like what I saw, she recalled telling the man. Uh-oh. Then one of the APS policemen sitting next to me, they both had their heads down said, please shut up. Shut up before you get us all killed. Ooh. The interrogation went on for three hours. It was clear that the two Australian policemen had been there a lot longer. They appeared scared and dejected from the hours of questioning. Annie admits that she was actually getting pissed off at the Americans for trying to bully her into saying what they wanted her to say. Hmm. Now, Annie is an intelligent university graduate 
who previously had run her own businesses. And at the time of the sighting, she was working at the nearby Roburn Regional Prison, counseling prisoners to help them find work. So it's fair to say she was not easily rattled. Quote, I said to them, I don't give a shit what you say. It wasn't a weather balloon. It was a UFO. And I'm not saying what you want me to say. I saw a UFO. Mm, End quote. (laughs) The Americans clearly had no idea what to do with an uncooperative Australian local. And eventually they took her home. The first thing Annie did was call her cousin, who had long wondered about what was really going on at that base. He drove to Exmouth, and they both visited Alan at his home. Now, Alan was that police officer. Mm. Alan admitted that photographs of the craft were printed at a local printing shop inside the base, and the two officers had shown them to their colleagues. Quote, next thing, they were in custody. They searched the photo machine. They took his camera, the pics, and all the negatives, Annie says. Alan told her the photographs clearly showed an intelligently guided craft, not physically landed, but hovering just above the ground. But, he said, every image he took was confiscated along with his camera. As Annie tells it, he was seriously rattled by the experience and told her and her cousin, just don't come back here ever. Don't come around here no more. Annie's elderly mother in Exmouth also confirmed part of the story. She clearly remembered the two military policemen first uh, when they first came to the family home, so she directed them to Annie's workplace, where her colleagues watched her being escorted away. And that's pretty much it on that story. Hmm. Annie stands next, she stands by her story to this day. Hmm. But that's that's it. Stridently. Right. Time for UFO story number two. So in 2015, same location, by the way, we're going to bounce ahead quite some time. So every night when the sun finally sets on Exmouth, it becomes one of the darkest places on Earth, evidently. Hmm. But that darkness was illuminated one night in February of 2015 by a strange blinding light off the highway which made the driver, Nikolai Gordovich, <laughs> rethink everything that he knew. It's coming then. It was very early in the morning. What no, in the fuck is this shit? <laughs> it was very, very early in the morning. No one else was on the road. He was completely by himself. And he saw a light on top of a hill. He described it as pure, bright, white light, and he nearly drove off the road because he couldn't see. It was white as fuck. The only thing that he could think was that it had to do with the military base. Um, he has, he said, states to this day, he has absolute clarity of that, mary, of that memory. And when people ask him, because he drove, he never stopped. When people ask him, well, why didn't you stop? His whole explanation was... My vehicle does not have brakes. Basically, something was telling him just to put his head down and keep going. I was being told <laughs> to get the fuck out of there. Right. So, he's that was that's his full experience, was a bright light, so bright, coming from, they said, three kilometers away. Hmm. The light was so bright, it blinded him, made him so that he really couldn't see the road coming from a mountain. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not liking. So the, we're going to go back to 1973 to a, a witness named Adrian Arnold. Now, this person is another ex-mouth witness. Okay, back. okay, so it was 1973 when he was 12 years old and he was out watching a movie with friends at the local drive-in. Between a break with in the film, he looked up and he saw three dots that were sort of moving in odd patterns right above them. Hmm. 
Now, they moved directly one direction very quickly and then paused and then moved to another direction. Now, he says it couldn't have been a plane or a helicopter. It wasn't likely. He says that planes don't fly like that. Basically, they were flying the way he explained it was they were flying, stopped, and then immediately went the other direction. He's never flown in first class, apparently. <laughs> he says there's no way a helicopter could move the speed that these these dots were going. Hmm. Um, he also stated that they had moved in, these dots had moved into the shape of a triangle. And at times when they moved, the triangle would distort a bit, change in shape, but then it would return back to that flat three dimensional three-dimensional type triangle Hmm. basically it was the shape of a diamond at the top was three-dimensional there were no windows it just seemed to be a solid metal object all three of these things Hmm. so that was another witness it was like a voltron kind of thing that sounds fair (laughs) alien should have a voltron Hmm. (laughs) pro space line all right so we're going to move on to australia's greatest UFO mystery of all. Of all. We return to Australia for UFO story number three. Now this is... fuck! This happened in Melbourne in the 60s. Melbourne. And it happened at... um, It was a high school. Westall High School. The fighting dingoes. Now Westall High School had about 600 students and this is located in Melbourne's southeast area. Crocky Melbourne. (laughs) So this happened on April 6, 1966. Okay. So basically... The students had just completed an outdoor PE class. Nice. And so as the students uh, were approaching the building, one of the students noticed a weird object in the sky. It was a gray, they said, saucer-shaped with a light, slight purple hue. They said it was about the size of a school bus. Now, at the same time, science teacher Andrew Greenwood also spotted the object. Mm. He noted that it was about 400 yards away, disc-shaped with no obvious markings. Now, the object hovered over a set of power lines and moving in a southeasterly direction crossed the southeast corner of the school's property where it basically dipped behind a grove of pine trees and disappeared into a clearing known as the Grange. Now, the Grange, from what I understand, is like where they go, where they would have like track meets and that sort of thing. I want to know how he knows it's 400 yards away when they don't have football fields and they do meters. (laughs) So I think... Some fishy in old Crocky Fuckland. So as the word of this UFO spread throughout the school, more students went outside to watch. Minutes after disappearing into the clearing, the object reappeared in front of the school, where it remained visible for about 20 minutes. Look a little alien shippy. 20 minutes. Mm. During this time, about 200 students and teachers stood outside and just watched this thing. Soon, other members of the public joined the group, and the crowd of witnesses swelled to an estimated 350 people. Hmm. Now, those present that day say the object was soundlessly hovering in the sky when an airplane arrived and began circling the object. Soon, four more airplanes arrived and surrounded the object. Each plane took turns cautiously approaching, and as they got close, the object would dart away. Sniff it in a little bit. Right? Well, the chase continued for nearly half an hour when the object suddenly climbed and departed in the northwest direction. Witnesses recall that it vanished in mere seconds. Hmm. After the object disappeared, students ran to the fence near the clearing where, Shit themselves. where it had disappeared from view. And in the clearing, they saw a clear circular depression of swirled discolored grass crap on the ground right 
Now, hours after the sighting, before the school let out for the day, military personnel and emergency services arrived at the scene. And arrested all the children. (laughs) They questioned all the students and teachers, trying to make sense of what the group had seen. Space shit. Now, two days later, UFO investigators opened an official investigation on April 8th. The Victorian Flying Saucer Research Society arrived at the school and spoke to the students again. Investigators recorded a ground mark in the clearing behind the school. Reports say the ground mark was a large, round patch of yellow, flattened grass with a a swirly pattern. Now, the edges of the depression were discolored and very well-defined. The next day, three days later, basically on April 9th, the Phenomena Research Australia group sent by Brian Boyle, uh, they was sent to investigate. Four army investigators accompanied him. Now, Boyle recorded interviews with the witnesses over a number of days and took soil samples from the ground mark. The soil sample, however, was lost before it could be tested. Sweet. Researchers were unable to take additional soil samples. How many times in the dipshit files are all the things lost? I know. It's yeah, mm-hmm. lost. I'm beginning to think that, you know, it's it's not lost. It's actually quote unquote lost. It's standard procedure for like, <laughs> oh, whoops. Sorry. That was important, huh? Mm. So then the ground mark area was lit on fire. <laughs> it was burned days after the event, reportedly by a farmer that owned the land. Hmm. Now, April 14th, 1966. Uh, Despite the enormity of this event, detailed reports did not appear in local newspapers until more than a week later. The first mention of the event was in the Dendagong Journal. The article appeared on the front page. Now, that same night, Nine News ran a detailed investigative story about the sighting on local television. Archival footage of the broadcast has since been, guess what? uh, Lost. Lost, yes. Well, that's all right. They were just like, and they were communists. It was lost. Okay. So April 21st, authorities, uh, they at this point, they offer an investigate, uh, an explanation. So on April 21st, the event was again mentioned on the front page of the local newspaper. This time, officials offered an explanation, one that sounded eerily similar to the account provided a decade earlier for the sighting of Roswell, New Mexico. The object was said to be a weather balloon. Mm. However, the five airplanes seen chasing the object remained unexplained. Records show no aircraft were in the area and no uh, area pilots reported participating in this pursuit. They were angry seagulls. (laughs) So about two weeks after this incident, Mr. Greenwood, that teacher, Mm -hmm. the the teacher that witnessed this whole thing with his students, uh, the very first one, Mm -hmm. he was visited at his home by two men on official government business. With flashy things. So apparently one was in uniform, the other one was in plain clothes. There was also a dog, and Frank. they asked him, basically, what he saw. And when he told them what he saw, they told him that he was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he hadn't seen anything at all. Tommy Lee Jones is very persuasive. Well, when he tried to explain to them that in, in detail of what he saw, they said, no, <laughs> you didn't see what you think you saw. Hmm. And then he said it would, uh, he'd be ill-advised to go on saying this what he's telling them because clearly quote clearly you were drunk on duty and that will have to be reported to the education department and of course you will lose your job so he was basically threatened 
by government officials to oh, keep his mouth shut. That's not the nice way to do things. Right. Little kids run the world, I guess, huh? <laughs> so the last story, there's more to that teacher story. If you ever want to, any of our listeners want to investigate any of these, there's a lot to these stories that I have actually removed. Right. Um, I'm just telling the base story. So if you want to investigate, it's very, very interesting, and it goes on for quite some time. Greencock. Uh, yes, Greenwood. Hmm. Mm-hmm. UFO story number So a world away from Western Australia, in the foothills of Southern California, retired U.S. Air Force weapons operator Robert Salas uh, was keeping a close eye on reports of craft appearing in the skies over nuclear installations like Exmouth. So in the 1960s, when he was the commander of an ICBM nuclear missile launch facility, he had the ability to independently launch nuclear missiles on American enemies. So Bob was literally the guy who pulled the trigger, (laughs) but he realized that somebody else was playing a game with him and it wasn't the Russians. Oh boy. Right. In 1967, with the U.S. and the USSR engaged in the Cold War, the then 27-year-old was in charge of launching nuclear warheads from Montana. Hmm. So essentially, if given the order, he would have launched those missiles. Essentially, they're talking about the end of civilization as they knew it. Right. So it was (laughs) one guy. He hoped he'd never receive that call. But on March 24th, 1967, he was underground in the weapons silo, sitting by a phone he hoped would never ring, but it did. On the line was a guard from up top telling Solace he'd seen a, a weird, menacing, the word he used was menacing light in mm. the airspace above the atomic warheads. Screaming into the phone, he was extremely scared. And when Solace finally got him to calm down a bit, this guy says there's an orange-red light, a large light hovering above the front gate, and it's pulsing. It's a pulsing light. You got all the guards out there with their weapons, and he wanted Solace to tell him what to do. It was, of course, crossing Solace's mind that they were under some sort of an attack, when all of a sudden, all the bells and whistles started going off. And apparently that happens when a missile goes down for any reason, simultaneously or one by one. Hmm. So, one by one, across the board, something was shutting down the nuclear warhead system, with the arsenal rendered completely inoperable. Salas ordered the guards to come back underground, and he basically questioned them, and they all said they saw the same thing. They said they saw UFOs, Mm -hmm. lights hovering above the facility. So basically, what Salas had, the, the conclusion that he had come to was that whatever these things were had shut down the nuclear weapons system. This is another thing that is gone unexplained. There's information, essentially lost, interviews also lost. I don't think any of them are lost. I don't think any of this stuff, any of the records recorded by the U.S. military and any of their investigations are lost. I think they're essentially what uh, we're going to learn. The new term is overclassified. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So with those awesome, really interesting stories, I'm going to move on to the second half of today's episode. Let's hear some UFO testimonies. This incident took place on July 26, 2023. It was just last week. And it's the House Oversight Committee's National Security Subcommittee hearing. There's a two-drink minimum. And that's what we're going to discuss right now. Cool. 
Yeah. Well, I fucking jumped the gun, didn't I? Yeah. When I heard about this, I was fascinated because there's been a few incidences over the past handful of years where this has been brought to basically a public government level. So in December of 2021, the Pentagon released a bunch of information about how they were basically analyzing unidentified aerial phenomena. Right. You can take a look at that. We actually talked about that in our first UFO episode Mm -hmm. that we did. Now, again, May 17th, 2022, the Pentagon officials testified again about this interesting phenomena. Now, just on July 26th, we have the House Oversight Committee. Now, I didn't really know what the Oversight Committee of National Security Subcommittee did, so I looked it up, and the mission is this. Fuckery. The committee was created by the Senate in 1976 to oversee and make continuing studies of the intelligence activities and programs of the United States government to submit to the Senate appropriate proposals for legislation and report to the Senate concerning such intelligence activities and programs and to provide vigilant legislative oversight over the intelligence activities of the United States to assure that such activities are in conformity with the Constitution and laws of the United States. Hmm. Fuckery. So I found it interesting that they were coming in front of the National Security Subcommittee Mm -hmm. to talk about this. So, July 26th, a former military intelligence officer turned whistleblower told House lawmakers that Congress is being kept in the dark about unidentified anomalous phenomena, also known as UAPs or previously UFOs, Mm -hmm. alleging at a hearing that executive branch agencies have withheld information about uh, the mysterious objects for years. Mm -hmm. David Grush, who served for 14 years as an intelligence officer in the Air Force and National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, He appeared before the House Oversight Committee's National Security Subcommittee alongside two former fighter pilots who had firsthand experience with UAPs. Now, Grush served as a representative for two Pentagon task forces investigating UAPs until earlier this year. He told lawmakers that he was informed of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program Family business. during the course of his work examining classified programs. He said he was denied access to those programs when he requested it and accused the military of misappropriating funds to shield these operations from congressional oversight. Hmm. He later said that he had interviewed officials who had direct knowledge of aircraft with quote-unquote non-human origins and that so-called quote-unquote biologics were recovered from some craft. Little green cunts. Members of both parties questioned how Congress could should go about investigating the remarkable allegations, a reflection of the increasing willingness by lawmakers to demand the executive branch be more forthcoming about the phenomena. Quote, we're going to uncover the cover-up, and I hope this is just the beginning of many more hearings and many more people coming forward about this, end quote, said Representative Timber Chet. Now, I'm going to actually play 
the the opening statements by these three witnesses. Huh. The first witness is Grush. Gro- Grush. I've I've heard it pronounced both ways. I think it's Grush. Okay. And then the second one is going to be Fravor. Now, for those that have listened to our first disclosure UFO episode, they're going to recognize Fravor as the pilot that witnessed the Tic Tac episode. And has very minty breath as a result. Sorry. The the thing that was flying over the ocean. Oh, that tic-tac. Now, Graves was an F-18 pilot stationed in Virginia Beach in 2014 when his squadron began detecting unknown objects. Now, he described these things as dark gray or black cubes inside of a clear sphere. What? And wow. where the apex of the, the, the cubes actually touched inside the sphere. Hot. He said that a fellow pilot told him about an incident about 10 miles off the coast and it was an object between 5 to 15 feet in di- diameter, flew between two F-18s and came within 50 feet of the aircraft. Nice. Now, in his testimony, they cover their experiences. And I would highly encourage our listeners to go and listen to the entire two-hour and 40-minute hearing. Nope. There's so much there. But what I've done, just for the sake of brevity and clarity, is I've basically pulled some audio. Sweet. And I'd like to present that audio to our listeners directly so that there's no miscommunication. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not taking it out of context. They can actually hear it out of the mouths of these congressmen and the witnesses. Sounds good. And then I want to talk about it. So let's move on to the opening statements. Mr. Chairman, uh, ranking members and congressmen, uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. This is an important issue, and I'm grateful for your time. My name is David Charles Grush. I was an intelligence officer for 14 years, in the, both in the U.S. Air Force, uh, both active duty Air National Guard and Reserve, at the rank of major, and most recently from 2021 to 2025, or excuse me, 2023, uh, at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, uh, at the GS-15 civilian level, which is uh, the military equivalent of a full bird colonel. I was my agency's co-lead in Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena and Transmedium Object Analysis, as well as reporting to the UAP Task Force, UAPTF, uh, and eventually, once it was established, uh, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, ARO. I became a whistleblower through a PPD-19 urgent concern filing in uh, May 2022 uh, with the Intelligence Community Inspector General. Uh, following concerning reports from multiple esteemed and credentialed current and former military and intelligence community individuals that the U.S. government is operating with secrecy above congressional oversight uh, with regards to UAPs. My testimony is based on information I've been given by individuals with a long-standing track record of legitimacy and service to this country many of whom also have shared compelling evidence in the form of photography, official documentation, and classified oral testimony to myself and many my various colleagues. I have taken every step I can to corroborate this evidence over a period of four years while I was with the UAP task force and do my due diligence on the individual sharing it. Uh, This is because of these steps, I believe strongly uh, in the importance of bringing this information before you. I am driven by a commitment of both uh, to truth and transparency, rooted in our inherent duty to uphold the United States Constitution and protect the American people. 
I'm asking Congress to hold our government to this standard and thoroughly investigate these claims. But as I stand here under oath now, I am speaking to the facts as I've been told them. In the U.S. Air Force, in my National Reconnaissance Office, NRO, Reservist Capacity, I was a member of the UAP Task Force from 2019 to 2021. I served at the NRO Operations Center on the Director's Briefing Staff, which included the coordination of the Presidential Daily Brief and supporting variety of contingency operations, which I was the Reserve Intelligence Division Chief uh, backup. In 2019, the UAP Task Force Director asked me to identify all special access programs and controlled access programs, also known as SAPs and CAPs, uh, we needed to satisfy our congressionally mandated mission, and we were direct report at the time to the DEPSEC-DEF. At the time, due to my extensive executive level intelligence support duties, I was cleared to literally all uh, relevant departments and in a position of extreme trust, both in my military and civilian capacities. Uh, I was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade uh, UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program, uh, to which I was denied access to those additional read-ons when I uh, requested it. I made the decision, based on the data I collected, to report this information to my superior, superiors and multiple inspectors general, and in effect becoming a whistleblower. As you know, I've suffered Retaliation for my decision, uh, but I am hopeful that my actions will ultimately lead uh, to a positive outcome of uh, increased transparency. Now we're going to move on to clip number two, Fravor's opening statement. As you know, my name is David Fravor. I'm a retired commander in the United States Navy. In 2004, I was a commanding officer of Strike Fighter Squadron 41, the world-famous Black Aces. We were attached to Carrier Wing 11, stationed on board the USS Nimitz, and had begun a two-month workup cycle off the coast of California. On this day, we were scheduled for a 2v2 air-to-air training with the USS Princeton as our control. When we launched off Nimitz, my wingman was joining up. We were told that the training was going to be suspended and we were going to proceed with real-world tasking. As we proceeded to the west, the air controller was counting down the range to an object that we were going to, and we were unaware of what we were going to see when we arrived. <coughs> there, uh, the controller told us that these objects uh, had been observed for over two weeks, coming down from over 80,000 feet, rapidly descending to 20,000 feet, hanging out for hours, and then going straight back up, for those who don't realize, above 80,000 feet is space. We arrived at the location at approximately 20,000 feet in a controller called Merge Plot, which means that our radar blip was now in the same resolution cell as the contact. As we looked around, we noticed that we saw some white water off our right side. It's important to note that the weather on this day was as close to the perfect as you could ask for off the coast of San Diego. Clear skies, light winds, calm seas, no white caps from waves. So the white water stood out in a large blue ocean. All four of us, because we were an F-18F, so we had pilots and Wizzo in the back seat, looked down a small, saw a white tic-tac object with a longitudinal axis pointing north-south and moving very abruptly over the water like a ping-pong ball. There were no rotors, no rotor wash, or any sign of visible control surfaces like wings. As we started clockwise towards the object, my Wizzo and I decided to go down and take a closer look with the other aircraft staying in high cover to observe both us and the tic-tac. We proceeded around the circle about 90 degrees from the start of our descent, and the object, ob object suddenly shifted its longitudinal axis, aligned it with my aircraft, and began to climb. We continued down another 270 degrees, nose low, where the tic-tac, or we considered 270 degrees to where the, and we went nose low to where the tic-tac would have been. 
Our altitude at this point was about 15,000 feet and the tic-tac was about 12,000. As we pulled nose onto the object within about a half mile of it, it rapidly accelerated in front of us and disappeared. Our wingmen, roughly 8,000 feet above us, lost contact also. We immediately turned back to see where the white water was at and it was gone also. So as we started to turn back towards the east, the controller came up and said, sir, you're not gonna believe this, but that thing is at your cat point roughly 60 miles away in less than a minute. You can calculate the speed. We returned to Nimitz, we were taking off our gear, we were talking to one of my crews that was getting ready to launch, we mentioned it to them, and they went out and luckily got the video that you see, that 90 second video. What you don't see is the radar tape that was never released, and we don't know where it's at, of the active jamming that the object put on an APG-73 radar, and I can get into modes later if you're interested. What is shocking to us is that the incident was never investigated, none of my crew were ever questioned, tapes were never taken, and after a couple days it turned into a great story with friends. It wasn't until 2009 till Jay Stratton had contacted me to investigate. Unbeknownst to all, he was part of the ATIP program in the Pentagon led by Lou Elizondo. Uh, and there was an unofficial official report that came out that's now on the internet. Years later, I was contacted by the other pilot, Alex Dietrich, and asked if I'd been contacted, and I said no, but I'm willing to talk. I was contacted by Mr. Elizondo, and uh, we talked for a short period of time, and he said we'd be uh, in contact. A few weeks after that, I was made aware that Lou had left the Pentagon in protest and joined forces with Tom DeLong, Chris Mellon, Steve Justice, and others to form Two Stars Academy, an organization that pressed the issue with leading industry experts and U.S. government officials. They worked with Leslie Keene, who is present today, Rob Blumenthal, and Helene Cooper to publish the articles in the New York Times 2017 uh, New York Times, and it removed the stigma on the topic of UFOs, which is why we're here today. Those articles open the door for the government and public that cannot be closed. It has led to an interest from our elected officials who are not focused on little green men, but figuring out where these craft are, where are they from, the technology they possess, how do they operate. It also led to the Whistleblower Protection Act and the NDAA. There are multiple witnesses coming forward to say, uh, that have first-hand knowledge, and, and Mr. Grush just covered that. What concerns me is that there's no oversight from our elected officials on anything associated with our government processing or working on craft. Uh, believe not from this world. This issue is not a full public disclosure that could undermine national security, but it is about ensuring that our system of checks and balances works across all work done in the government using taxpayer funds. Relative to government programs, even unacknowledged WAVE programs, have some level of oversight by the appropriate committee members in the House and Senate, and this work that is said to be occurring from whistleblower testimonies should not be exempt. In closing, I would like to say that the Tic Tac object we engaged in 2004 was far superior to anything that we had on time, have today, or are looking to develop in the next 10 years. If we in fact have programs that possess this technology and needs to have oversight from those people that the citizens of this great country elected in office to represent what is best for the United States and best for the citizens, I thank you for your time. Now the next clip is from Graves, that F-18 pilot stationed in Virginia Beach, and his experience was in 2014. My name is Ryan Fobbs Graves and I'm a former F-18 pilot with a decade of service in the U.S. Navy, including two deployments in Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Inherent Resolve. I have experienced advanced UAP firsthand, and I'm here to voice the concerns of more than 30 commercial aircrew and military veterans who have confided their similar encounters with me. Today, I would like to highlight three critical issues that demand our action. As we convene here, UAP are in our airspace, but they are grossly underreported. These sightings are not rare or isolated, they are routine. Military aircrew and commercial pilots, trained observers whose lives depend on accurate identification, are frequently witnessing these phenomena. The stigma attached to UAP is real and powerful and challenges national security. It silences commercial pilots who fear professional repercussions, discourages witnesses, and is only compounded by recent government claims questioning the credibility of eyewitness testimony. 
Parts of our government are aware of more about UAP than they let on, but excessive classification practices keep crucial information hidden. Since 2021, all UAP videos are classified as secret or above. This level of secrecy not only impedes our understanding, but fuels speculation and mistrust. In 2014, I was an F-18 Foxtrot pilot in the Navy Fighter Attack Squadron 11, the Red Rippers. And I was stationed at NAS Oceana in Virginia Beach. After upgrades were made to our jet's radar systems, we began detecting unknown objects operating in our airspace. At first, we assumed they were radar errors. But soon, we began to correlate the radar tracks with multiple onboard sensors, including infrared systems, eventually through visual ID. During a training mission in Warning Area Whiskey 72, 10 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach, two F-18 Super Hornets were split by a UAP. The object, described as a dark gray or a black cube inside of a clear sphere, came within 50 feet of the lead aircraft and was estimated to be 5 to 15 feet in diameter. The mission commander terminated the flight immediately and returned base. Our squadron submitted a safety report, but there was no official acknowledgement of the incident and no further mechanism to report the sightings. Soon, these encounters became so frequent that aircrew would discuss the risk of UAP as part of their regular pre-flight briefs. Recognizing the need for action and answers, I founded Americans for Safe Aerospace. The organization has since become a haven for UAP witnesses who were previously unspoken due to the absence of a safe intake process. More than 30 witnesses have come forward and almost 5,000 Americans have joined us in the fight for transparency at safearospace.org. The majority of witnesses are commercial pilots at majority major airlines. Often, they are veterans with decades of flying experience. Pilots are reporting UAP at altitudes that appear above them at 40,000 feet, potentially in low Earth orbit or in the gray zone below the Kármán line, making inexplainable maneuvers like right-hand turns and retrograde orbits or J-hooks. Sometimes, these reports are reoccurring, with numerous recent sightings north of Hawaii and in the North Atlantic. Other veterans are also coming forward to us regarding UAP encounters in our airspace and oceans. The most compelling involve observations of UAP by multiple witnesses and sensor systems. I believe these accounts are only scratching the surface and more will share their experiences once it is safe to do so. In closing, I recognize the skepticism surrounding this topic. If everyone could see the sensor and video data I witnessed, our national conversation would change. I urge us to put aside stigma and address the security and safety issue this topic represents. If UAP are foreign drones, it is an urgent national security problem. If it is something else, it is an issue for science. In either case, unidentified objects are concerned for flight safety. The American people deserve to know what is happening in our skies. It is long overdue. All right, so that was interesting. Yes, so those were the opening statements. And what, what I'm doing here is I've pulled some things that I've found telling. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we have more audio that we're going to plug in here. And I've, I've pulled things that I found either shocking <laughs> or quite telling. So we can listen to them from the horse's mouth. Right. Now, as far as the opening statements, I found them both, uh, all three, very fascinating because they're going before the Congress not to talk about aliens. Aww. They're going before Congress because it seems as if there's massive security and safety issues going on, which I find fascinating and I kind of found humorous personally, Mm -hmm. because as I was listening to this, it's gotten so bad that there's safety issues with air travel, 
not just with um, yeah they were actually just kind of making it common like yeah. watch out for uaps yeah it's in their morning briefings it's like okay this is what we saw so if it's become <laughs> if it's become this common and not just for the military but for commercial pilots mm-hmm. if it's become this much of a common thing you know i do believe in my personal humble uneducated opinion it's time that we kind of look at a realistic look at this with a realistic lens you know because yeah they're running into shit so it's not just Whoopsie. it's not just cell phone footage it's not just on uh, civilians on the ground it's not just teenagers and old people this is happening with our military and it's happening often enough that there is well running joke about it there is yeah. you know so what do you think do you have any thoughts yeah. on the opening statements i think eventually everyone in america is going to see a ufo before our government says that there's <laughs> stuff that you should worry about <laughs> i think that's basically what's going to happen that's uh, my thoughts on that well uh, i i i have to agree with you on every that. single person is going to i mean at this point millions upon millions of everyone knows somebody that's seen a ufo right and you know uh, do we trust human beings to know what to look at in the sky not really no and do we know what the world's technologies are doing no there's so many secrets we don't know yeah i mean whatever's you know things are quite more advanced than whatever we know about that's Mm -hmm. kind of the rule right so you know to me it part of me thinks it's it's these drones with engines in it that can go mock something crazy Mm -hmm. and so there's nobody in it and that's kind of scary if it's another country or if it's (laughs) what i'm hoping it is is just some you know rich kid Mm -hmm. with a fucking really expensive toy and he's got a dad that at lockheed martin or some shit yeah. he's like quit going to space dude you got to stop going to space son maybe he's like, no you know i just that doesn't explain all over the world this is going on well I mean, you know it's not just one kid with a lockheed martin dad with a um you yeah, know with a drone this is happening all over the world if you can go mach 10 <laughs> i mean you're all over the world anyway it's a very small little playground well, for you. Well, then Billy has some explaining to do. I think he does. Uh, I think he's for probably Australia having Australia and China and Russia. That's uh, a place South to go. America, the U.S. I mean, it's everywhere. And it, Billy's got to be like 90 years old at this point. Well, you know, it might be a generational thing like Batman or Zorro. And you know, you must the take things this, uh, this unarmed, unmanned drone <laughs> and take it to the stars, boy, little Billy. Well... Okay, Billy, fuck Billy. <laughs> Basically, the next step that I would like to take okay. is there's there's some really interesting statements made by Congress itself. Okay. Now, the next... That seems hard to believe, but fair enough. They were fascinating to okay. me. So, I have a clip from Representative Matthew Gates. Now, in this clip, he tells a story, which I found really interesting, and he even kind of goes through his frustration of not being given information right. <laughs> when he's asked for it. But he also is able to ask a question, and it's basically like a security-type question, and it's answered by the witnesses. So let's listen to the clip. Several months ago, my office received a protected disclosure from Eglin Air Force Base indicating that there was a UAP incident that required my attention. I sought a briefing regarding that episode and brought with me Congressman Burchett and Congresswoman Luna. We asked to see any of the evidence that had been taken by flight crew in this endeavor and to observe any radar signature uh, as long as as well as to meet with the flight crew. We were not afforded access to all of the flight crew. 
And initially, we were not afforded access to images and to radar. Thereafter, we had a bit of a discussion about how authorities flow in the United States of America, and we did see the image. And we did meet with one member of the flight crew who took the image. The image was of something that I am not able to attach to any human capability, either from the United States or from any of our adversaries. And I'm somewhat informed on the matter, having served on the Armed Services Committee for seven years, having served on the committee that oversees DARPA and advanced technologies for several years. Um, when we spoke with the flight crew, and when he showed us the photo that he'd taken, I asked why the video wasn't engaged, why we didn't have a FLIR system that worked. Here's what he said. They were out on a test mission that day over the Gulf of Mexico, and when you're on a test mission, you're supposed to have clear airspace, not supposed to be anything that shows up. And they saw a sequence of four craft in a clear diamond formation for which there is uh, a radar sequence that I and I alone have observed in the United States Congress. One of the pilots goes to check out that diamond formation and sees a large floating, what I can only describe as an orb, again, like I said, not of any human capability that I'm, that I'm aware of. And when he approached, he said that his radar went down, he said that his FLIR system malfunctioned, and that he had to manually take this image um, from one of the lenses, and it was not automatic, automated uh, in collection, as you would typically see in a test mission. So uh, I guess I'll start with Commander Fravor. In, how should we think about the fact that this craft that was approached by our pilot uh, had the capability of disarming a number of the sensor and collection systems on that craft? Well, I think this goes to that national security side, and you can go back through history of things showing up at certain areas and disabling our capabilities, which is disheartening. And for us, I mean, like I said, it, it completely disabled the radar on the aircraft when it tried to do it, and the only way we could see it is passively, which is how he got that image. So I think that's a, that's a concern on what are these doing, not only how do they operate, but their capabilities inside to do things like this. And, and how should we think about forecraft moving in a very clear formation, equidistant from one another, um, in a diamond? In all of the phenomenon, perhaps, Mr. Grave, that you've analyzed, um, have we ever seen multiple craft in a, in a single formation? I have one particular case, and that was uh, during the gimbal incident. Um, the recording on the AT flare system shows a single object that rotates. Um, you hear the pilots refer to a, a fleet of objects that is not visible on the FLIR system, and, and that was something that I witnessed during the debrief as part of the radar data on the situational awareness page. I would like to add, however, Congressman, uh, there's a small, uh, small bit of uh, uh, anger, I would say, I would feel that those pilots are still uh, facing that difficulty in reporting this topic and they don't have the tools to be able to mitigate this issue. It just goes to show how serious this is and why this is such an important issue for our pilots and for our nation. It was stated explicitly to me by these test pilots that if you have a UAP experience, the best thing you can do for your career is forget it and not tell anyone. Because any type of reporting, either above the surface or below the surface, uh, does have a perceived consequence to these people. And that is a culture we must change if we want to get to the truth. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I, I would observe that perhaps as we, as we move forward from this hearing, there are some obvious next steps. 
Every person watching this knows that we need to meet with Mr. Grush in a secure compartmentalized facility so that we can get fulsome answers that do not put him in jeopardy and that, and that give us the information we need. Second, I would suggest that the radar images from, um, that were collected of this formation of craft out of Eglin Air Force Base and specifically the actual image taken by the actual flight crew that we can actually validate, um, be provided to the committee, subpoenaed if necessary, um, so that we're able to track how to get this type of reporting and analysis done in a more fulsome way. That would be my recommendation, humbly, as a guest here of the Fine Oversight Committee. So I thought, first off, I thought it, I, I kind of chuckled a little bit because he's basically on site to investigate and asked for specific information and they wouldn't give it to him. Mm -hmm. So he had to remind them how authority works in the U.S. government right. <laughs> and then he got it. So I, I do find it alarming personally that the security systems on these large crafts and the video systems just malfunction. They just go away. They stop working. Yeah. That is kind of interesting to mm -hmm. me. Yeah, what, it seems like it's directed towards human technology, which makes me think terrestrial. Mm -hmm. You know, so right, right. Could just be an EMP type thing or something, could be. something like that. But yeah, either way, it's a problem. Right. I mean, if you're in a military plane, and this is just there are no commercial pilots on this panel to talk about their experiences. All of those experiences evidently are, are, are recorded with the investigation that Grush is talking about and also Graves. So that information is out there. What they're talking about specifically is the United States military because it's a matter of defense. It's a, it's a matter for the Department of Defense, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, even because if it these, is a kid. Even if it's a child or some type of jamming software, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I do find it a little bit alarming that the military pilots, their shit shuts down. Mm -hmm. It just, and, and not only does their shit shut down, they're not allowed to talk about it out of fear of either being ridiculed or, as we are soon going to learn, having their psyche questioned. Right. Of so course. we're going to move on to the next clip. Okay. And this is uh, Representative Tim Burchett, and he's actually questioning Grush. Have you faced any retaliation or reprisals for any of your testimony or anything on these lines? Yeah, uh, I have to be careful what I say in detail because there is an open uh, whistleblower reprisal investigation on my behalf, and I don't want to compromise that investigation by providing anything that may... Uh, help provide somebody information, but it was very brutal and uh, very unfortunate, some of the tactics they used to um, hurt me both professionally and, and personally, to be quite frank, yeah. It's very unfortunate, as they say, when you're over the target, that's when they do the most fi firing at you. Do you have any personal knowledge of people who have been harmed or injured in efforts to cover up or conceal these extraterrestrial technology? Yes. Personally. Have you heard, have anyone been murdered that you would think, that you know of or have heard of, I guess? I have to be careful asking that question. I directed people with that knowledge to the appropriate authorities. Maybe in a, um, if we could get it, get in a um, confidential area skiff, we could talk about that. But unfortunately, um, we were denied access to the skiff, and that's very unfortunate in this this scenario. All right. So our next clip is from Representative Nancy Mace. And 
I took this clip because she's got some really interesting questions mm-hmm. uh, for for all three witnesses. And then specifically at the end, we have a little interesting little twist. So let's listen to the clip. Earlier this year, a Chinese spy balloon was shot down off the coast of my home state of South Carolina. Since the Roswell incident in 1947, Many Americans have wondered about the dangers of unknown objects crisscrossing our skies. Whether these are UAPs or weather phenomena, advanced technology from American allied or enemy forces or something more out of this world. So my first question, I have several questions and I'll, I, if we can just be quick on these first two, I'm going to ask each of you the same question um, and then I'll get to each of you individually. Uh, the first one, when you reported your experiences with a UAP, did any of you face any repercussions with your superiors, yes or no? No. No. I've actually never seen anything personally, believe it or not. So. <laughs> All right. Um, and then do, do you believe there's an active disinformation campaign within our government to deny existence of UAPs, yes or no? I don't have an answer to that. As previously stated publicly, yes. I think previously with like Project Blue Book, yes, but currently I don't speak for the United States government. Okay, thank you. Um, I have a few questions for Mr. Graves. Um, What percentage of UAP sightings in your belief go unreported by our pilots? This is an approximation based off of my personal experience speaking with a number of pilots, but uh, I would estimate we're somewhere near 5% reporting perhaps. So like 95% basically don't report seeing UAPs. That's just my personal estimate. Um, In the incident off Virginia Beach, do you believe the Navy took the danger to your aircraft seriously after it was reported? Absolutely. Um, A few questions for Mr. Favor. As an expert naval aviator, have you ever seen an object that looked and moved like the Tic Tac UAP? No. Did the Tic Tac UAP move in such a way that defied the laws of physics? The way we understand them, yes. Many dismiss UAP reports as classified weapons testing by our own government, but in your experience as a pilot, does our government typically test advanced weapon systems right next to multi-million dollar jets without informing our pilots? No, we have test ranges for that. It took over 15 years for your encounter with the Tic Tac to be declassified. Do you feel there was a good reason to prevent lawmakers from having access to this footage? No, I just think it was ignored when it happened, and it just sat somewhere in a file. Never got reported. In a drawer. It happens a lot up here. (laughs) Shocker. Um, Mr. Gresh, uh, a couple of questions for you, too, sir, this morning. Um, What percentage of UAPs do you feel are adequately investigated by the U.S. government? Of the 5% that are reported. (laughs) um, I can only speak for uh, my personal leadership over at NGA. I tried to look at every report that came through that I could mm -hmm. triage, so... Do you believe that officials at the highest levels of our national security apparatus have unlawfully withheld information from Congress and subverted uh, our oversight authority? There are certain elected leaders that had more information that I'm not sure what they've shared with certain Gang of Eight members or et cetera, but uh, certainly uh, I would not be surprised. Okay. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, Okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. (laughs) Um, If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? 
as I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness, like how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either... What agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those. And, and how soon can we get that list? I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing. Super. Thank you. So bodies. <laughs> Fucking. Biologics. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's people. Yeah. But not earth people, I guess right. is what they're saying. Well, yeah, non-human biologics. Right. So there's, that, that was interesting. There's a couple of interesting questions in this one. Yeah. One of them being the percentage of reported incidences. Mm-hmm. So... Most you know, of them this, aren't reported. Right. Uh, eight, what was it, 85%? Yeah. Ninety. Well, no, it was 95% or go unreported. I'm sure out of fear for their jobs or being ridiculed or, you know, whatever. I think at this point everybody knows that you're not supposed to say shit. Right. So that little kid's getting away with a lot with his little drone. <laughs> Billy. Fucking Billy. <laughs> Crazy shit. We have more clips, don't you? I do, I do. Next clip is Jared Moskowitz, Representative Jared Moskowitz. Okay. Mr. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself of non-human origin craft? Yes, I personally interviewed those individuals. <clears throat> Mr. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself about ATs, advanced technologies that the U.S. government has? Uh, based on uh, conventional uh, advanced tech, I was briefed to uh, the preponderance of the defense departments, both space and aerospace compartmented programs, yeah. Do you have knowledge or do you have reason to believe that there are programs in the advanced tech space that are unsanctioned? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you say that they're above congressional oversight, what do you mean? Uh, Complicated question. Uh, so there's, you know, some I would call it abuse here. So congressional oversight of conventional special special access programs. So I'll use Title 10. So DoD as an example, right? So 10 U.S. Code Section 119 discusses congressional oversight of SAPs. Discusses uh, the the DepSecDef's ability to waive congressional reporting. However, the Gang of Eight is at least supposed to be notified if a you know a waived or waived bigoted unacknowledged SAP is uh, created, and that's public law. Well, so that how does, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but yeah. how does a program like that get funded? I will give you generalities. I can get very specific in a closed session, uh, but a mis misappropriation of funds and uh, does that mean that Does that mean that there is money in the budget that is said to go to a program, but it doesn't, and it goes to something else? Yes, I have specific knowledge of that. Yep. Do you think U.S. corporations are over overcharging for certain tech they're selling to the U.S. government, and that additional money is going to programs? 
correct through something called IRAD. So they're spending some money on mm. things that they're not telling people about, obviously. Right. But maybe a fuckload of money. Yeah. Like that, trillions of dollars, perhaps. That's what, uh, well, Whoopsie. I have I have one last clip that I'm going to share. Okay. That kind of touches on that a little bit. Well, that is where the Gunner Halifax universe comes from, is misappropriated funds. Oh, really? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Naval intelligence, that all that... It's one of the conspiracy theories that are very juicy, where it's, you know, there's a secret space program that's been going on a long time. Oh, and really? And trillions of dollars through the Naval Intelligence Program. Oh. Yeah. Who knows? Very. I mean, there is, there are quite a few, not quite a few, but there's a couple audits through history mm -hmm. where they're like, yeah, we just lost a few trillion dollars. It's like, yeah. what? What? At uh, a time you, where there was did, only like two or three trillion. <laughs> you, like, you did, you did who? Who? Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this next clip. This next clip, again, goes back to Representative Tim Burchett. He asks some very pointed questions and makes some couple interesting statements. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Um, what level of security clearance is required to fully access these programs? Well, anybody who has... Uh, and, I, and I say that oh. because myself, um, Representative Gates and Representative Luna were mm -hmm. basically turned away at one point. At Eglin, so please go right ahead. Uh, certainly, difference between member access and say somebody like me, but anybody who has a you know TSSCI clearance and meets the eligibility criteria, the access adjudicative authority should be able to grant you access. So, so, yeah. uh, Ms. Burchard, if you'll yield, so just to be put a fine point on that, there's nothing that you're aware of that's above special access program classification. It's a misnomer that there's anything actually above top secret. Executive Order 13526 delineates the classification levels. Right. And, but I, I draw a point on that because we can have access to, mm -hmm. to those programs. And so the notion that we're not being given that access sort of defies our typical muscle memory here in Congress. Thank you, Mr. Burchard. I'll yield back to you. Thank you, Mr. Gates. Um, along those lines, Title 10, you may not know this or not, but uh, Title 10 and Title 50 authorization as they, they seem to say they're inefficient. It, so who gets to decide this, in your opinion, in the past? Uh, it's a group of career uh, senior executive officials. Okay. Are they government officials? Both or in and out. Do what? Both in and out of government. And that's about as far I as I can go there. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that leads to my next question. Which private corporations are directly involved in this program? How much taxpayer money has been invested in these programs, to your knowledge? I mean, we know we, know we, we audit the Pentagon every year, mm -hmm. and I've been here five years, and they failed the dadgum thing every year. They uh, lose over a billion dollars a year, we think, and I've told the Department of Defense maybe 60% of their assets are unaccounted for, whatever the heck that means. In the public sector, you go to jail for that kind of crap. So tell me. Yeah, I know when I, um, I'm a dollar off of my DTS travel voucher, I get hammered, but it uh, seems like it doesn't work the other if way, you right? sell over yeah. six, If you sell over $600 worth of stuff on eBay, now you get a call from the IRS. So, mm -hmm. please, what corporations? Yeah, I don't know the specific metrics towards the end of your question. Uh, the specific corporations I did provide uh, to the committees in specific divisions and uh, I spent 11 and a half hours with both Intel committees. So. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Well, should we do it on the other side of the thing? Yeah, let's talk. What do our dipshits think, eh? So what do you think? Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there is so much here. And in all honesty, since this oversight committee hearing, 
I have spent so much time investigating and researching and digging and mm-hmm. gathering information. So my brain is a bit spun today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've d- done my best to present at least the things that I found fascinating. There is so much more in this hearing. Right, two and a half hours, and there's two hours and forty minutes, okay. and it it really needs to be heard. All of it does, but okay. that, that, yeah, I'm not going to. Well, do it sounds that. like it's it's really eliminating corruption within the government and kind of the obsolete nature of government in general but that's just my kind of thing <laughs> it's definitely highlighting corruption mm-hmm. for sure how but, terrible government is because this is you know the best we could do yeah and they're in charge of these things mm-hmm. and, well they're not doing a good job and the last statement or at least they're not doing a good job with this and and the last statement cracked me up they're doing great in other things though I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't speak on that because I haven't looked into it. But I know this one is great. questionable. But whoever Burchett is, I'm not sure who he is. But he cracked me up on that last statement. <laughs> mm-hmm. How how the uh, what is it? The Department of Defense wasn't it them or was it the Pentagon? Well, what uh, that they get audited every year and they fail every oh, year. Yeah, and they lost a billion dollars. If not, yeah, those trillions to the Gunner Halifax program. Yeah. So there's some really interesting things that I did kind of pick up on. Now, first of all, it is allegedly there were supposed to be six witnesses. Mm-hmm. This is, is not off the record, but I couldn't find absolute validation that this was actually fact. But evidently, allegedly, there were supposed to be six witnesses. However, three of, of those... were like, fuck that. Well, three of those witnesses, two of them dropped off fairly close to the hearing. And one evidently, allegedly, dropped off right just minutes before the hearing. Oh, wow. And allegedly, it was because of threatening phone calls. Oh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Huh. You, you have to wonder, because this is really cloak and dagger shit. Right. And, you know, a lot of these people are saying, like, my life is in danger. And you well, to, yeah. You know, you don't, the last thing in the world I want to do is take, you know, soldiers that have done service to this country honorably mm-hmm. and belittle them or poo-poo what they're saying. It's right. like, let's listen. Right. Being a whistleblower is difficult to do. So, especially, and you can see, because mm-hmm. in this topic is something that... You know, I, I wanted to bring up one thing. What's up? This topic, to a lot of people, it's like, it will change the world. And it will. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I've been looking at, because I've said it myself out loud before, is that it will challenge religious beliefs and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But one simple article that I read kind of changed my mind about it. And it was like, yeah, religious ple- people generally believe that God made aliens. Mm-hmm. And I actually read a priest talking about how, you know, basically Jesus died on the sins for, died on the cross for the sins of aliens as well. And so it, it won't matter at all. And, you know, so that's hmm. the idea that we're going to lose our minds. You know, maybe that's not so accurate. Well, I think, <clears throat> I think they've eased us in, into it. Uh, It'll enough. be all the secular folks that will lose our <laughs> minds. We'll be like, fuck it, we got nothing. I think they've eased us into it enough to kind of, uh, I guess, accept it. So, I don't know. When yeah. when oh, full man. disclosure finally happens, people are going to be like, duh. Mm-hmm. And which will be, time. be a lot easier, I think, doing it the way they're doing it, just to release the information than it would have been, say, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years ago, people probably would have lost their shit. Maybe. So, but now, but now I'm not, I'm not so sure. 
I think people are ready for it. I think they were ready for it as soon as E.T. came out. They're like, let's do this. (laughs) One thing that I have discovered uh, through my research is I find it interesting that there are so many individuals that, well, you have your folks that are jumping on the the UFO E.T. bandwagon, Mm -hmm. right? So without they're just it, it's almost like they're flying on faith alone mm-hmm. that this is proof of extraterrestrials mm-hmm. however on the flip side i find the skeptics that are nearly as reckless in their judgments Open flying up. on faith alone that there is absolutely nothing going on um, well the faith is, is that there needs to be evidence that's physical for people to really really and you know and video would count Mm -hmm. and we've seen some video but it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily something that we can you know the the normal person isn't looking at that going oh i know exactly now Mm -hmm. the 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 issue here is ashtray wife they need to (laughs) grab a goddamn ashtray off the shelf of the alien ship run like fuck i did not present this for aliens i presented this as my take on this is that we have serious issues to face here. Fucking take aliens off the table for a moment. Yeah, there's a we billionaire have, kid out there running around with a fucking drone. That's we ha- <laughs> Billy, off black we have or we have ch- we have we have issues with security. Mm-hmm. We have issues with the Department of Defense. We have issues with misappropriation of funds. We have issues with. The People ment- being threatened and shit. That is a, a huge, huge issue. With killed, thing, potentially yeah, killed. Scary. So these are the things that I found fascinating, fascinating about this oversight hearing. The simple fact that Congress, which is supposed to be involved in this shit, is, is being told nothing and then stonewalled when they're asking for information. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, you it know. shows you the value of government. Right? <laughs> so, so children run the world is the general theme of the world. <laughs> so where, where we're sitting here with this oversight committee, uh, the fact that there is biologics that has been uh, collected, mm-hmm. that by itself. That's what somebody's saying. They're saying like we saw it or someone <clears throat> I know that I interviewed saw it mm-hmm. and they're an expert on it. And that's the thing where... We've heard that, mm-hmm. even though this is the most fantastic because it's in front of Congress, mm-hmm. it's in front of the world, and these are very credible people. Mm-hmm. It's still like we're at the same place where we don't have anything that we can touch. Because it's overly classified. It totally is. And that makes sense. It does. Uh, you know, the arguments that people have about that where it's like, well, the government will let it. It's like, you're right. <laughs> so <laughs> my, But it still stands where... You know, obviously the aliens and the bodies and stuff. That's mm-hmm. a that's a leap from yeah. the UAPs. Huge. That is that is a huge leap. Yeah. Uh, that's a but very. Then we've, but that's we just a very. Ta- we just heard a guy talk about it. In right. the Same sentence as the UAPs. So. Right. That's a lot for people to process. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think I'm one of those people that thinks that that everyone should get to hear you know <clears throat> the majority of things that they can hear as long as it's not national. Uh, you know, actual national security where it's mm-hmm. our military stuff. Right. Or, you know, I'm not sure. It would be worse to find out that, that we have, you know, adversaries that have this sort of technology. Right. It would and be worse for that is, beings. That's an issue. Yeah. And if that's the case, it's definitely an issue that should be looked into mm-hmm. by uh, the Department of Defense instead of just covered up and, and hidden and don't talk about it. Yeah. So I'm sure there is way more going behind that. They're I'm, definitely talking about it. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> if it's actually a threat to the United States, it's been talked about currently. It's being talked about right now. Right. I, I want to think. Don't you want to think that? Maybe not. Maybe well, they're having coffee is. right now. No, it actually is. So uh, this was on Wednesday by Friday. Um, a group of House members called on Speaker Kevin Mc- McCarthy. Mm-hmm. To form uh, a committee. So basically, another committee. Yeah. Tasked that's with, how they roll. They're going to tax these aliens and right? that's <laughs> protect us. If we can just tax them, then. So there's, there's a, a select committee tasked with investigating the federal government's response to UAPs, which are the Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, further deepening Congress's quest for information about the mysterious objects. So I do have one fact that I want to throw in here that I found fascinating. Okay. As of the end of August of 2022, mm-hmm. there have been more than 500 UAP sightings over the last 17 years. Hmm. So, so there's a bit, there's a lot of, uh, reported drones out there, reported sightings. Right. And when you look at that data, Five over five hundred reported sightings. Only five percent hmm. estimated are being reported. So what would why, that be? Why would little green men care about airplanes so much? Like, I'm These not, are fascinating. I'm not talking I about know, little green I men. Know, but I'm the, talking about the, unidentified aerial phenomena. Shit flying around. Right. I, I feel like we are not going to know the answer to this for a while. But you probably are going to see one before the government says anything. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of these that aren't reported, apparently. Fair. If we were to extrapolate <laughs> the numbers out. And, yeah, I just, I, they don't want to talk about it. Mm-mm. And and maybe they do want to talk about it now and kind of distract us from things. Who knows? Maybe. Know. Maybe. Well, as it stands, for those that are interested Go check it out. Go watch the hearing. Mm-hmm. It's in two hours and 40 minutes out of your life. There's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of the same questions asked. It's all on C-SPAN, and which over is and super over. riveting. <clears throat> yeah. So, but it is very interesting. There's also follow-up interviews. Uh, there's a lot of information out there. So check it out. And as this new shit pops up, I, yeah, I'll, I'll Put it up on an episode. So. Yeah, I really want to hear. Last thing, I really want to hear from like Skunk Works engineers mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. about these things in the future. Like those will be the people to, to talk about mm-hmm. or to talk to about these things. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, so what? What do you guys have? Mm-hmm. What is possible? What's that kid in Australia doing anyway? Yeah. <laughs> Billy. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah. Thank you so much for all your research. This oh. has been you know a labor of love for you this week. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time on it. There's so much information, so you were barely scraped. You know. I'm barely scraped the surface. There's so much to see. There's yeah. so much out there. Right. So we'll we'll keep you up to date here. The Dipshit Files is your number one source for news and information on <laughs> military and you know extraterrestrial type well, things. Get your news on the poop show. That's right. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So thank you to our trusted triad of Don, Chris, and Bodie doing stuff on Facebook and Discord and mm-hmm. all sorts of places. Actually, you can also um, we have to thank PJ and Minnie for doing the, the subreddit. subreddit. That's yeah. right. There's also there's so many people to thank that are doing so many things. David mm-hmm. Carpenter's doing some meme page for us. There's a whole scat meme army, mm-hmm. which if you want to join that, the ranks are growing and they are committing, uh, I think, the best grassroots kind of advertisement possible for a show like ours. So there's that. Uh, thank you to Jose Montez, who's part of our Jargoneers group for mm-hmm. the Just a Ride podcast, all that stuff. 
There's a Patreon. There's also some things like info at scatcast.com if you want to talk to us. Yes. And I feel like I'm always forgetting people. Thank you to the Fat Cats, all the patrons. We appreciate the shit out of you guys. Holy mm-hmm. crap. It's been a crazy couple of months with you guys uh, growing with us, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. We've got cartoons around the corner. The Liam the Monster Hunter book has been... Uh, you can't pre-order it to get your name on it, but you can still order it. Yep. And blow hard, I am. <laughs> Are you bloviating? You haven't heard me talk for the whole episode. <laughs> now I'm just blah, 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 blah. But thank you so much for making so many things for me to thank that I forget all of them at the end of the show. <laughs> I know there's some birthdays that we talked about yesterday on Scatcast, but mm-hmm. uh, Nikki Apodaca mm-hmm. and Lucifina Lightbringer, happy mm-hmm. birthday or belated birthday now. But mm-hmm. thank you guys for being part of the fam. And as always, we'll talk at you in the future. And it'll seem like the present. Bye. Bye. Hope you don't get abducted. Bing! Bong!